Hello and welcome to The Culture Brokers, stories from 1.5 generation immigrants. In this series, we explore the unique experiences of individuals who immigrate to a new country before adolescence. Each episode will discuss different themes relevant to this demographic as they navigate through life while trying to understand what it means to belong to different cultures. So she works at um, like settlement services kind of hub in Ottawa and they are involved in the refugee resettlement as well as newcomers and she went to a meeting and um, the session was called helping refugees and she was already like kind of ticked off because it should be like you know we work with refugees we don't help refugees like these are clients right and she just found through that conversation um, when we were reflecting on it later, she was just telling me, you know, she was disappointed by how um, a lot of, there's a lot of myths, like, even surrounding mental health when it comes to immigrant or newcomer communities. And in this context, it was referring to the refugees, but, you know, this idea that people are, like, helpless and they need to be taught survival skills is is really grossly inaccurate because you're not teaching anyone survival skills like communities of people have who have these demographics they've gone through things that mo- most of us could not imagine and many of them especially who have, have consciously decided to come here and as an older adult they know what they're doing they've like survived on their own in another country they've brought they brought themselves and their families here right they've navigated very complex systems as it is not to mention anyone's day-to-day life is equally complex like in the grand scheme of things but when you come here it's this idea that like we are talking to people like they're incapable of doing things and her whole conversation was like when she talks to her clients she's like i'm learning just as much as they're learning from me so it's not that I'm giving anyone any new skills. If anything, by seeing someone at a more human level, like this is a person, this is a person who has experienced X, Y, Z, but they're also looking for assistance in X, Y, Z. And having that more of a fluid dynamic conversation, she was, you're able to see someone and then you're kind of like able to elevate what's already there rather than like make it seem like here's a handout of like Mm -hmm. the things you need to do. And I think that's what happens with a lot of, just how we can't have a conversation around immigration and our own immigrant families because it's this idea like okay well you don't know how to do this and it's very patronizing right and i do that to my parents all the time and now I, the joke is that because we've kind of switched in this current state we're in my parents are like oh yeah like you know you're the parent or you're whatever and it's funny and it's sweet and you know it kind of does feel good because you're like you're back. the one providing and you're you're giving back and it's like something that you've been trying like not that we've been actively trying to do it at least in my case but I've welcomed the opportunity to be able to do that and you kind of forget because you get caught up in like your way of doing things and you're like well this is the right way to do it or it's like even like that thing you sent your mom about that um the meditation right like <laughs> this is good for me it worked for me but it's not necessarily like the language or whatever that is like makes sense to them yeah she and fell asleep she fell asleep and it's easy to laugh at, like oh my god this is why you guys are just going to be like this forever you're not going to change but like they have their own ways of doing things mm-hmm. and it's even from like one of the med- one of the 
one of the yoga exercises I was doing, like you're supposed to like move your head from side to side and, and hold it on either side. And doing that, I was like, it took me like a minute to realize, oh my God, my dad does this when he prays, right? Mm. So like people are doing yoga or whatever, like white people didn't invent mental health. Spirituality. Or spirituality or this like reconnection to the need and importance for spirituality and mindfulness. Like we're just repackaging it differently now, but people have been coping coping i use those words in quotes because i think it's like kind of a strange word but they've been having their own techniques to like manage their life life, for like centuries right including own families so it was just really interesting when she said that and she's like she's just like a very humanist or human-centered approach to like learning from people and i was like that'd be really nice if every settlement serve like settlement service worker was like that because imagine the value you could bring to someone that's a newcomer immigrant that's like there's like this narrative that you're in this western society where everything is like very different and you're you know you're the other and so you have to like find ways to fit in when really if someone was like hey you know what i see you and like there's no such thing as right and wrong systems here are some like i think you actually already have all of the skills or basically to look that you would need to survive because you're a human being like anybody else but here are some ways that you can like go about it and like or even just an encouragement that you're just going to be just fine i don't know like retroactively i'm thinking about it now because even with my dad as we were like planning his you know his next steps um since he's lost his job and he's trying to like figure out his sense of identity because he was so heavily premised and like him being the provider and like culturally that's something that he brought and as an economic immigrant i think there's like a layer to that i can't speak to other um experiences but you come with this like determination that you're here to set a name for yourself and then you fall into this like like dream that like the average Canadian or whatever else has kind of established and you're trying to achieve that dream and then when it doesn't actualize that same way for you it's like okay well this is all for naught yeah and I'm like no well look at like this is you know not your identity you're all the great things and you know we're just kind of having these conversations and I see those moments like click where he's like, okay, but you you could tell like that's not a way that it's been communicated to him before, and that's not how we communicate in my culture either. Like no one's being like, you're doing great. Like that validation is not <laughs> coming. trying is enough. Yeah, <laughs> like that's not happening. And that's definitely something we learned from here. That like trying is enough. Here's your participation medal. But I don't know. Like I just like that was an interesting point for me because I realized like, yeah, we talk about mental health and it's you know we act like it's like this thing that's thriving here and it's other immigrant communities don't do it enough but it's like there's a stigma against it everywhere in the world it's not even just to immigrants and immigrant communities and mental health looks like different things in different places and there have been communities and immigrant families that have been practicing it mm-hmm. in their own way for like years right it's so funny to hear you say that because as usual i'm like Every 10 seconds, I'm like, oh my God, same. But the thing that made me laugh the most is, uh, I think it was over the holidays, a bunch of my cousins and I and or, uh, my mom and aunts and everyone were together. And I don't know if I've already told you this story before, but basically uh, a couple of the cousins were talking about like seeking mental health support, especially when you're during your undergrad years and how the school offers like this system and that and how it's so important to be um, aware of, you know, uh, intergenerational anxiety Mm. kind of tendencies and Mm. all this like 
self-enlightened, you know, talk, which in that moment for our purposes, it was really nice to have these different cousins who live in different countries mm-hmm. like connect in that way. And then my aunt goes something like, you know, it's interesting. You guys just all I hear and she, like her, her tone and everything was so non-judgmental. It was so neutral. It was so like innocently just like inquisitive. Yeah. She was like, um, it's interesting. You guys always use this term of anxiety. And I just keep thinking, how is it that we grew up with in Iran during a time of revolution and then a war and then another war and then this change in a regime where everything changed about the way we could kind of be treated from the second we step outside the house um, till you know, your work and then to whatever, every space that you enter, basically, you get to reevaluate yourself and like reestablish your identity and have all these new rules to live under and always kind of like in recent years living under the state of like war and being attacked from western powers but we've never really talked to each other Mm -hmm. as sisters about like anxiety and how like that's like an ongoing thing in our lives and (laughs) when she said that we were just like looking at her being like oh my god like I mean we obviously knew they had to live through these things we just never put it all in that one paragraph and that one Mm -hmm. sentence because they never talk about it because they never reflect in the way that we tend to reflect mm-hmm. on like these points of like stress and hardship um and i think it's really interesting to consider how it's like in that moment it's like two different worlds are colliding mm-hmm. right it's like this generation from that part of the world with their own tools did what they needed to do to come here um be give their future generation a whole new set of opportunities and a whole different kind of life um but then we are growing up and we are finding um these things really comforting we are finding it helpful to add label and to pay attention and be sensitive to the words that we use the language that we apply Mm -hmm. to our experiences and to be frank about it or to be blunt about it from their perspective we're a little bit too sensitive and from our perspective i just remember growing up and always thinking um, my parents don't really, and my like that generation doesn't really appreciate or isn't very knowledgeable on mental health mm-hmm. issues, and they kind of dismiss them. And there's the stigma, and they very rarely w- have I heard them like seek out uh, mental health support. Um, and they almost have this perception that you only do it if you're really deeply troubled or something. Yeah. And um, so I almost sort of judged them growing up for that and dismiss them as like not knowledgeable on it and then when like moments like this would happen I would realize no they actually are very well versed in how to handle it in a totally different way so but does that mean that both systems are perfectly fine because I think it's maybe easy to sort of want to be diplomatic and say that but I also think about how from the next generation I don't know if I would choose one way or another. Mm-hmm. I would, but I know I don't want it to be just their approach either because I do feel like there's a lot of censorship in that and I do think there's a lot of like oppression of internal like experiences mm-hmm. and things like you said about your, you know, your perception of your, the self perception of your dad and how he associates like work with identity. Um, you know, like definitely can relate to that with so many like men, but like especially Eastern men. Um, where if they can't provide for their families, then who are they? Yeah. And I don't know if I want to pass on sentiments like that because I don't think it makes sense anymore. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think anyone's self-worth should be, like, 
tied to one thing. And then, anyways, that's kind of going off topic, but, like, my point of it is um, coming back to this, like, experience of 1.5 generation, I feel like moments like this are the epitome of what it means to be 1.5 because you are, from the second you immigrate till probably the, <laughs> the last day of your life, you are constantly navigating in and out of spaces where you're like, oh, I see it from this culture's perspective. Oh, I see why mm-hmm. this works for them, but it's such a huge contradiction to that. But more importantly, maybe it's, you know, what's valuable or what's so significant is that you get to switch in and out. Mm-hmm. Is that you get to kind of... Because I don't know um, if my cousins who were born here or in the States or they're my children and they're the next generation I don't know if they'll have the same level of appreciation as we do for the our first culture um I don't know it just makes me all the more appreciative or like all the more happy and excited to be having conversations like this because I feel like we're this sort of we have this unique platform Mm -hmm. we have this unique moment to give back and um, kind of like keep things going and so I guess like by I don't know by our kids generation things become more naturalized in a sense right because they don't necessarily have to hold things up for us the way yeah. we did and it's vice versa too, though because you're like because one of these books was talking about the one I was trying to picture of it was describing how 1.5 uh, generation youth or children kind of like they like they flip in and out or they dip in and out so sometimes you're more like heavily invested in like your parents culture being that like your your native or your mother tongue or whatever and that sort of you very much feel that's part of your identity and other times it's very easy to just sort of like take that off and then just like you know and for us I think there's still it's like any other generation I think for our parents like they hold on to it. it's like survival instincts like anthropologically I'm, I'm one of the things I was thinking over the weekend was this like someone mentioned it and it just like made me click something in my head where when you come to Canada for example as an immigrant and you know Canada in this context is like there's like this mosaic model in place right we talk about it a lot but it's almost like people are aware that there is going to be other competing quote-unquote cultures that are already in place so you try really hard to retain your identity and your culture because you don't want you're not only threatened by one dominant culture, like, say, like, the U.S. model for, like, melting pot. Like, there's this American identity. You're competing against, like, whatever, 500 other cultures to, like, feel like you have a a place and your children need to have that sense of purpose and identity as well. Like, that's what anchored you, so your kids need to be anchored by that. So, for us, if we're anchored by 1.5, do we want... Like, ideally, you don't think you'd want that for anyone else to be anchored by, like, a confused state. But we also see a lot of resilience and value. And just, like, any other generational cohort that has experienced, like, conflict or even, like, an issue or just something that they had to fight to preserve what they have, you kind of want to retain that. Like, just, I feel like that's, like, a biological function. Or I don't even know if that's the right word. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't know. I feel like that's a thing. And... I was thinking for, and then when I was, one of the things, I sent you this excerpt of that book, right, about language, and it made me really think for the first time, because I, it was this book written in the, in the perspective of um, an older 
Bengali woman. I was like a 1.5 generation, and she grew up speaking Bangla at home. Like her mom made her do that, and she was like decent at it. And then she got married, and she had a child, and she didn't marry. She married outside of her culture, and um, that's when you realize like the work your parents had to put in to like really preserve that vein of identity that runs through you now that you kind of like it just it came with you because you were literally naturalized into it um but what happens when you have to really work for it work for it and I don't know what that looks like and that's like the second generation like that's a conversation I would want to hear from like second generations that really or maybe even third generation immigrants that whose parents have who immigrated or grandparents immigrated and now they've been here for a number of generations and they find that it is a lot more fluid to like dip into Canadian identity versus a previous generation like it's almost like then it becomes an ancestral thing rather than like an immediate cultural feeling mm-hmm. so I don't know because when I think of my language and I think of like yeah I like I love this today's international language day for Bangladesh because we had to fight for our language and we weren't allowed to speak it and it's like making me think all these things and like how you know my mom sent me to like language school and like i remember did you guys have something like that yeah. saturday saturday school right i hated it so much oh my god so I hated grateful it. in retrospect i hated it like we all went there just like did nothing i think we just ate snacks and we had like the one. lunchtime pizza was the most exciting part that's true <laughs> we just had snacks and we had this one end of year concert where we just like wear a cultural outfit and just like sang that one song right for us we sang like the Bangla national anthem and i think we did like some other thing but it didn't really mean anything because it was just this thing I was, like, forced to go to. And then now I'm, like, looking for opportunities to, like, rekindle that flame. Like, I would love to learn my language and read it right now. And I'm looking for ways to do that. And you were, le- you were learning you're learning Farsi, right? Um, not Farsi. I, like, because I was born there and I went to school, um, I'm fine with that. It's the, like, I guess the poetry and the advanced kind of... Look Farsi that I like one level ahead. <laughs> no, but I'm I'm not making much progress, admittedly. But it's um it's funny to hear you say that because it makes me think about how like basically it's a spectrum and you're going in and out of it and you get to ch- you know I guess you don't get to choose, but we do have that unique opportunity to pick and choose the parts of the culture that we want to keep with us. And I think for the longest time, we're not really aware that we're doing it. At least that was the case for me. Um, But like if I were to kind of quickly uh, explain that in an example, my sister, who's eight years older than me, she growing up always had more Persian friends. She was just like, you know, much more comfortable with the Iranian community in a lot of ways um, in comparison to me. But then by contrast, I really like traditional Persian music and uh, Iranian cinema and like more so than even my mom in terms of like really traditional Iranian (laughs) music and just three days ago I was on the subway going to work exhausted just like hadn't slept well kind of groggy and just squished into the morning you know commuters sort of subway experience and then out of nowhere, I hear this background kind of like, you know, you can someone's headphones are music playing music so loud. I just hear this super traditional Persian song. And I just like my head just like jolts up and I just like look around like 
so quickly and immediately spot the Iranian looking man who like I think is like a skill within itself it's almost like a fun thing like being as in like a fellow immigrant yeah. being like I know you speak Farsi like yeah, I can yeah. tell from like this shape of your eyebrow um, <laughs> but I just hear this guy who looks so much exactly like what you know the men look like on their way to work back in Tehran from what I remember how my dad looked going to work every morning uh, there you know and he has his like airpods in but he has the most like intense running song playing and I it just brought me so much joy and happiness because I think and I just thought about that for a little while I was like how why am I so happy right now like this is not this random like song I really really like it's a popular song and I really like it and I can you know listen to it whenever I want but what it was about it for me was um a obviously like I just like connect to that music and like appreciate it but that subway ride to work I don't have any association with like my original culture to that that's like my new culture that's Canadian life for me that's North American like life standards everything I know about it I learned here Mm -hmm. through the school system and then through the different like work experiences um and that moment that music that like nostalgic instrument heavy um emotional sentimental you know art is nothing associated to this in my mind like these are two different spaces Mm -hmm. and it's that moment where they intermingle out of especially if it's like unexpected that feels so good yeah and um so like connected in some weird way or another you know and but you know it also made me think a little bit about about how like it's almost like it's a bit of a choice for me to keep that part of me a little bit like um, that part of my identity to myself or like I get to uh, where I, whereas I have to go to work and I have to kind of like appear to be a certain way and that's just mm-hmm. sort of like the social norms here in Canada um, that other part of me that likes that like kind of music is almost something that I do that's private like with my own culture with my own people um, anyways it was just such an interesting kind of moment of appreciating the private subtly in this new space and recognizing how like I'm so happy to have that like mean something to me you know um but then going to your other point about the next generation and what they would experience if they kind of have to like fight to hold on to because that to me happened very organically like no one in my family was like you have to like traditional Iranian music you know um, so I was like almost like privileged to sort of mm-hmm. grow up with that, but I could see how my like you know younger cousins would never really appreciate it. even when I've played it before. They think it's like crazy that I like this kind of stuff. Um, but then I remember once I was having like some weird existential crisis, and you were telling me you said this to me. You were like, "Well, that's how cultures are, though. That's how cultural development is. It's always evolving, always static." And everything we know to be right now is because it changed over time and mm-hmm. influenced by different factors. And it's not meant to be this, like, defined and set thing. Um, so even though it's, like, a weird kind of meta thing to say or think, but that, that is what it is. Like, I cannot expect, just like my parents can't expect me to have the same relationship with my Iranian culture as they do, I can't expect my the future generations to have it like I did either mm-hmm. because... That's just not how things go, mm-hmm. um, which which is why it makes it so much more to me important and kind of like pivotal that me and my sister and people like in my family that are around my age 
um, who immigrated like as a 1.5 generation immigrant, we are the ones who understand this moment and this uh, to an extent, of course, but like this specific family's experience with their culture and the second culture right now. Because the next generation and the one before that, right. it's almost like there's the gap is too large. Right. I think that makes it all the more important that we kind of keep, we do what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We talk to them about, hey, did you hear about this thing called 1.5? <laughs> or do you know what, like, um, you know, it, that these are the, like, very natural experiences of, like, immigrants. And you might not, like, really have ever, ever like, labeled yourself as such. But, like, here's some, like, research I found. Not to be condescending and not to be telling them what to do, but to just sort of share knowledge, share information, and see if they've, they'll be exposed to something comforting just like we've been exposed to something comforting by just the mere fact of learning that there's such a thing as 1.5 and it doesn't have to be a first or a second. Yeah, I think so. My dad was like really interested. I think anyone that's heard 1.5 is really interested by the new kind of found language and it's so uncommon. Like even today, the library, like Toronto Reference Library is probably one of the better databases in Toronto. And there was like one book, The Result for 1.5, and uh, when I was talking to my dad, he even made this connection, like, with the, and it's always that layer, like, immigration, gender, race, right? But he was like, you know, I actually feel like it's harder for girls as 1.5 than, than boys because um, the allowances that of, like, that responsibility to continue or to retain almost disproportionately falls on women and young girls. And that traditional traditional views are always much more easily reinforced on like girls because that's just the way it it has been right and obviously that's like layers with like just patriarchal systems but made me think when he said that because I was like you know what it's true because even right now and like I love my brother and he does we have a really great relationship but like a lot of times like emotional labor things around this like figuring this out let's even like clarify this language for my parents I'm the one that wants to do that more so than him you notice that with my sister-in-law and like her family and I think it's like looking back to some of my experiences and how it differs from my brother even though we we're both 1.5 where it's like for him it's like yeah boys um you know like they play a lot of sports like you know low-income communities there's a lot of emphasis on or immigrant neighborhoods the boys are outside just like send them off to play right and I actually recently was thinking this is just a quick tangent but but related to this like with these migraines and I was just thinking about when I went and got a massage they were just pointing out how every muscle like your 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 head is basically like a golf ball on a what's it called I don't know I don't know. I don't know. The thing that you... Immigrant moment. Yeah. Immigrant moment. Like, stick. Yeah. The thing that the golf ball stands still on. And he's like, that's your neck. This is your golf ball. And he's like, these are all your muscles. He's like, so everything that your your head, like, your neck's trying to support all these muscles. And he was describing it. And I was like, it's crazy because I know so many South Asian women, like, brown women who are like, migraines are normal. It's, like, so normalized. Everyone I know has a migraine. My manager has a migraine. My mom has a migraine. My mom, my sister-in-law's mom has a migraine. Like, this is just a thing I've heard, and I think I've, like, internalized it at a really young age. And I'm thinking back, like, well, it's because none of these girls are going outside. and pl- Like, how much are you encouraging young girls to exercise and to, like, be physically active just for the purposes of just, gener- like, generic wellness? And, of course, it comes to a point in time where... 
there's certain muscles in your body that like literally have never been exercised or moved or whatever in many ways in in the same like vigor that they probably could have and you're having different health outcomes and then we're we're like saying things like like oh like black women have um higher tolerance for pain or like brown women have higher tolerance for pain which is you hear a lot of stuff like this like indigenous women right and this goes back to like gender it's a different issue but it's like what is the kind of dominant narrative we bring back to Canada and what are we convincing ourselves as a community and then we're relaying to Canadian like our whole society that this is the way things are and then there's like literature out there that's just normalizing all of this mm-hmm. and it was just making me think like you know it does start off earlier and recognize like 1.5 it's recognizing you have this unique opportunity to because you're literally in between like you're able to evaluate more critically what has been brought from where we came from quote-unquote and what are we choosing to 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 incorporate from our whole society and it's more of like a meaningful recipe whereas I feel like a first generation you're gonna it's like luggage right you just kind of bring your stuff and then you're just here and then most of your time is like trying to preserve onto what you've brought while like trying to adapt quickly to mm-hmm. where you are so you're not picking up all the nuances you don't have the time so going back to what we were initially talking about like with your aunt like talking about anxiety yeah it's it's really interesting because they had so much more quote-unquote reasons to be like hyper anxious because they're troubled like the things they've experienced are so different like in a way we can't relate to them but we have the time now because we're in this like state of like and i think it's also like one of these i want to read them it's about like the digital media in the new age and like diasporas and how we operate in this new world because it is influenced by like internet and community through internet access to music art like if i want to google like a good poem and i just want to get in touch with like bengali literature it's like at the tip of my fingertips right and so there is like a lot that comes from that access that i think has facilitated this culture like okay stop and think what do you like you know do how do you feel right now and so from that almost like we are more anxious because like it's just mass information and we're like hyper stimulated and we are trying to be purposeful and meaningful in like a million different things whereas and like not to generalize but if you've been through more like concrete trauma like you know tangible experiences like what your aunt said like when you're noticing the revolution like there's civil wars that were taking place like even with my dad just recently hearing stories from him and um being like okay well you obviously didn't process any of that so it's almost like you just compartmentalize it as something in your head and you've just moved on with your life whereas like we stop and think about it but i think we're we're lucky because we have like the information helps so much because we can like we can stop and think and we can look at whatever and i think that's really what it is like being able to craft this the deliberate identity and it's like oh you know like this is my thing i really like i love this music you know and this is a part of me that i'm probably going to hold on to from my culture and that's your thing right Mm -hmm. and for me it's like oh i love speaking bangla like that's something that i'm like finding like i love you know through sao like the girls and just being able to talk to them on the side like in english and then bangla like it makes me so happy because 
and it's no longer my mom like yelling at me at home like stop speaking English with your brother because we'd be talking in English in the room and we're like oh my god you're so annoying <laughs> and that's something I'm happily able to do but I think it's because of the fact that like I look around all the time I'm like okay well I don't like speaking English all the time like what's the big deal with English anyways right <laughs> and so then, then this is like a thing I've been introduced to but I don't think they were given that same opportunity I love the term deliberate identity I've I don't know, it just fits in and so well together and similar to Deliberate Democracy, which I also love, but it's a whole other story. Um, but what you, what, when I was just listening to you talk, it also reminded me of the um, some of the challenges that come with this position that we kind of keep talking about and referring to this like unique opportunity to be like connecting both pieces of the puzzle. Um, if I were to be blatant about it, I think maybe right now, especially in recent years, after school, after meeting, like, intentionally choosing to speak about these types of topics with friends like you who uh, could relate and all that kind of stuff, and, like, you know, having this newfound language to find, like, use as, like, a tool as opposed to just what it was like before, especially during my teens and high school years where it just sort of felt like it was just like something's happening or something's very confusing I'm not really sure what it is mm-hmm. uh, so it was just this kind of constant state of like confusion um, so it definitely like has its like hardships as well but I think maybe one of the most um, I don't know what the right term for it is but one of the most like important challenges of 1.5 generation immigrants or I guess in a sense well pretty much anybody whose parents uh immigrated to Canada and are not able to give them the same that like pass on that level of knowledge and that level of information of like different how to navigate different aspects of life to their kids this specifically was something I looked in really deeply when I worked with the Toronto Youth Cabinet and we did this like citywide report on the state of uh, youth unemployment in the city and why it's like, why is it that this rate is always so much higher than the average, mm. you know, youth unemployment, uh, uh, national unemployment? Why don't people care enough about it? And then like going and looking a little bit deeper into it and seeing as usual, it's like super like intersectional and um, specific communities and specific neighborhoods and access basically had to do with like so much of it. And one of the most common things that kept coming up, especially for immigrant kids, was uh or if you children of immigrants was a lack of like a lack of access to passed on knowledge and passed on information about um how to apply for a job what kind how to put together a good resume how to behave in the workplace these are things that are so important and so pivotal and so much of it can be cultural because it all has to do with the context that you're like applying to or whatever um and some people have that sort of social capital and I mean everybody has some sort of social capital but the varying degrees of it determines how kind of the kind of equity that is present and that I know through research is very much like relatable and can be extended to immigrant experiences and I think that is something that it would be very valuable to sort of work on to be like okay like all the all the you know things that our parents came up with all the tools that they used to cope and get here as amazing as it is now in retrospect like learning how to live through a war 
the truth is it doesn't really apply to us anymore. Mm -hmm. And what happens now? What happens when our most important challenge is how to like cope with mental health barriers while trying to make a decent living in a very um, highly expensive city? And these are like, you know, in a way it's almost like more noble if you like were to quickly think about it to like know how to survive a war but you know this is our reality like Mm -hmm. social media and that impact on your lives your attention span your health like how about that that's like a really important conversation that I don't find um a lot of communities but especially like immigrant communities are paying attention to maybe because they're so they have so many other bigger things to deal with that they're forgetting or they're unintentionally ignoring this huge a new challenge you know because it's so it's just like different ball games and I think to me that's something I've experienced as sort of a hardship um and like a nuanced thing but also something that comes up over and over again where it's like oh I see how there's a disconnect between my parents experiences and their generation um my like you know just family extended family all of that versus my experience um whether it's at school whether it's in interpersonal relationships whether you know so many other like examples i can think about where i've been experiencing something and i've been very cognizant of the fact that um it won't really make sense if i talk about it Mm -hmm. because their landscape and their understanding of these things is so different Mm -hmm. and I don't think that's tragic by any shape or form, at least like not in my case, but I do think that that is something that um, kind of ends up falling back on us, which, you know, why through platforms like this, through other, you know, basically that whole idea of like using what's been given to you and like whatever, lemonade out of lemons, whatever. that is this is like one of those opportunities to do that because the truth is i especially for younger uh you know like people in their teens and adolescence and early tw- 20s whatever i don't think uh that's ever going to stop i don't think i think until you get to a certain point of maturity you can't give back mm-hmm. really so then what should really maybe happen is that 1.5s keep giving back to other 1.5s mm-hmm. maybe younger 1.5s wow and like I, I I mean, I don't know. Like, I think it's it's going to be a difficult thing to pinpoint of, like, exactly what moments, like, that help is needed. But I think the most, like, it's, like, starting, fret, starting simple is really important. So, okay, like, you're in your, um, or, like, you're 16, 17, starting to think about applying for your first job or starting to think about applying to school well if your parents have never gone through that education system then they might not be able to like really help you and support you with that whereas like this other school with like a very low immigrant community rate could not have that problem at all and get a head start in so many shapes and forms so okay let's like I know that programs like this already exist of course I understand that like most schools probably have like career counselors and everything but the reality of it was I don't think it was my experience from my recollection it wasn't catered enough it wasn't considered enough of maybe like going back to what you said about your friend who works for the refugee settlement services it was too top down Mm -hmm. that's a really good point too it's this idea that like kate and i think a lot of like in these situations especially when it comes to institution like navigating institutions that we kind of all like 
even immigrant communities kind of inherently endorse like yeah go to university get a job right they kind of just like parrot what has been or they've heard or like what they've seen from other immigrant parents that they know and like I was telling my dad recently this I was like you know a lot of things that you guys did is that you kind of compared us to all these kids and I was always like well so and so's kid so that's all the same like you're almost getting the same pool of knowledge over and over there you're not getting any fringe oh there's that fringe there's that kid who did you know this other program like that is like this kind of like avant-garde thing <laughs> maybe you should try that like genet- like generally parents in my experience like my parents I cannot I shouldn't say parents in my experience parents that I know and like my friends parents that of like immigrant parents did not do that right it was very like traditional follow this step and then yeah I kind of like what you said you know there's this idea of like we're navigating different things and so who's responsible for being that support system for 1.5 experiencing it now because their parents are still very much providing and they're still kind of like gunning on in their path right and it's not fair to really harbor any resentment towards them because you know that their challenge just like any other person is just different and so how can we communicate and when we talk to when it's only through conversations and just by sharing like our experience with other people that are also 1.5s that there's like this community that sort of naturally forms because we all realize we're going through the same shit and when it comes to like what you said like quieting things down social media like navigating some of this other stuff like anxiety mental health defining what mental health even looks like and it's not saying words that are jargony like when we share stories it's like yeah i can totally relate to that and i'm really happy you're telling me this because it makes you feel less like alone or unusual or um it just validates the fact that people have problems as well like even people that you know and that you know are fine and whatever right and so I feel like it's almost we're still perpetuating like you know when you that feeling of when you were younger and you kind of have these problems but your parents don't really know them and you don't also know their problems we're still kind of operating that same place because the things we're grappling with now are things we assume our parents don't understand and we don't really articulate it, I don't think, in a way to try to really get them to understand. We kind of just, it's almost like we're holding on to this childhood resentment. Well, you never understood, so I'm not going to start trying to explain to you now my most recent list of challenges, right? And, um, but sometimes I feel like when you do talk to them, there might be, like, an opportunity for, like, a real dialogue. One of my horoscopes last week was, like, remember that a monologue is not the same as a dialogue <laughs> and I was just like shit because I was just like I got into a fight with my mom where I was like mm, and I just like kind of rambled I was like well whatever you don't get it this isn't a nah. and I said my piece and she said her piece and we just didn't we were not on the same page and it's like an age old story with me and my mom but I think there is more understanding there there than we tend to give credit for it's just we're not doing anyone any favors and not to put the onus on us because it is really emotionally like it is like a laboring thing to do but we're not doing anyone any favors when we're continuing to walk around eggshells with our parents like well we're not going to avoid these topics because it's just too triggering to get into this like pathway of conversation because before we get to any place of understanding there's going to be like a whole ass thing a lot of crap a lot of it but yeah like we almost i feel like like as a cohort like we went through like this like i don't know you can't generalize phases but like there's a phase of like awkward 
teen angst, prepubescent, like, I hate my family because everyone hates their families. Like, that's, like, a normal thing. But, like, it's also, like, compounded by the fact that we can't hate our families the same way we see, like, white kids hate their families. So, like, how do I hate my mom without, like, telling my mom I hate her, right? So then there's, like, this weird dynamic happening there. And then you're in high school and then it's, like, boyfriends and girlfriends and whatever, all these new experiences, then your university, like, we're always going through things, everyone's growing up, and I think we forget our parents are growing up too, mm-hmm. but we are growing up, and we're experiencing all these things that they don't have any idea, but now that I'm older, and I'm like, my challenges today are so different than they were when I was, like, 12 or 13, but it just makes me, and now there's health problems, right, I'm like, oh my god, is this is what aging feels like, mm-hmm. but I'm, like, thinking, okay, when I'm now trying to, like, think ahead, like, hey, if I'm 40, if I make it to 40, my problems that are going to be there are going to be different from what they are right now. And it's like you said, it's like the day, from the day you arrive here to the day you die here, it's always, like, this thing. But I don't know, like, there's, I think there's a lack of knowledge transfer that went both ways. Like, we don't know. I can't, my parents did go through a lot of things that they learned in Canada. They weren't 1.5, they were first generation, but what were their challenges in the workplace when they first started? We don't talk about them. So imagine I had that information. Maybe I would have done something differently. differently. Yeah. I think it's, that's the interesting thing about being 1.5 and being first generation is that it's with you forever because even right now, when our parents are, maybe they've been here for a long time, in the case of my parents, like 18 years, like I, th- I think wrote like in the very early stages I used to think integration was like there was a time limit to it and then after a certain point you're integrated right. and that's enough but the biggest shock of my life has been that no it's a constant thing because even in the case of my parents now they're learning how to be immigrant almost like seniors in this mm. country and I'm w- watching that happen and I'm like oh okay so this is not a gap that necessarily gets closed in my own experience necessarily it's just that it's it's a constant gap that is just like continues but maybe the best thing we can do is narrow it a little bit make it a bit smaller and then make the connections that bridge between different people experience the same thing and make that experience just a little bit more um meaningful mm-hmm. and helpful mm-hmm and less isolating most importantly yeah and I think that's like I guess right now like for me in my mind like it's both ways like I don't know I feel like I less of I wouldn't have been saying that maybe like three years ago I think I would have been like parents need to do a lot more to understand because they're children and like sometimes you forget as like because as you get older and it's like the same thing I'm sure every I'm not a parent, but, like, parents probably do this. Like, you grow up and you're like, well, whatever, I did it, so, like, suck it up and do it, right? Like, growing up is hard. Big whoop. But it's like, no, there are real challenges that you have no idea. There's things that you've never had to experience that are taking place or, like, the internet alone, Instagram, social media, like, whatever, TikTok, whatever is, like, out there now, right? Like, I don't even know what it would be like to be, like, an immigrant, like, newcomer immigrant, knowing that there's social media everywhere in the world. It's not like it's a new thing that you have to adapt to but like the different the things you're seeing the things you the lifestyles that you're now seeing like on display it's very different than when it was for us and I don't know about that story and I want to like learn and then I also feel like I want to learn about you know 
our parents and like the things that they did and like, going back to the initial conversation we had around mental health and like you know I'm thinking about the situation where I came to this realization like like oh this yoga and the praying that my dad does like that's one and the same but in like in an ideal world I guess and like this goes back to like what do we want from this like in an ideal world it would be me as a 1.5 sharing with my dad a first generation oh my god I discovered this new yoga thing it's really helping me out and him actually being like oh tell me more right like let me just for the sake of it just the sake of learning and I tell him and he goes and he makes that connection for me to be like oh you know what that's really interesting that you're doing that because as you know when I pray this happens and like that's something that has been done for like his you know he's picked up from his dad and sadly for that and like from that I think that's a more meaningful bridge that is built um because it's a knowledge transfer and then that way you can kind of frame it that way like for a second generation it's like hey here's this thing you can do and it works in both contexts like you can see it as yoga you can see it as like a spiritual practice but it's good for you in xyz ways and I think that's like a nice fulsome like nice little Mm -hmm. like little bow right to tie onto it whereas like for me it's like I now that I realize it I'm like okay it val it comforts me because I know it comes from a place that I like can relate to um and it's nice to know that there is a connection between like mental health and like wellness in the Canadian context and how we the rhetoric of how we talk about it here but I had to do that conclusion on my own and like it's again like you're that person making the connections but like in an aspirational world we should be learning from like generations above and both between and we're in between but we should be learning from both so that we can continue like making these bridges um without having to be necessarily the one to be constantly like thinking and fighting so hard to do it just just basically making the most of the platform that we've been given not just because of our experiences of being 1.5 and having two identities but also because like you said in the beginning information age like what better time than to use social media as like a connector 